It's always a pleasure and a privilege to uh, speak to you guys, to, to get the chance to speak. And um, I was really kind of challenged over the title of my message. I think slide one, the title of my message. And a great friend always told me, you need to have a really good title because it's a really, you have to have a really good, great, great place to start, right? So I was mulling over this um, for a number of weeks and I came up with a very provocative title. I think because it was, I wanted to be honest. I wanted to come here this morning and be honest. And I wanted to say, well, actually, sometimes I don't know what to believe. Sometimes I don't, I, I, I don't know what to believe. And before you all get up and leave, before you say, actually, the head of discipleship at Skylark Church doesn't know what to believe, it's true, right? Sometimes we just don't know what to believe, right? Thank God it's not just me in this place. And, I, and the thing about it is, what we believe is based on the information that we receive, right? At the time, which we make a judgment on, and we also make a judgment on whether we trust the validity of the source. That's, what we, that's how we believe something to be true or we take something to be true in our own lives, right? Now, there are moments in our lives where sometimes that doesn't match up. There are sometimes you believe something and it isn't true. First thing, one of the first memories of this for me was when I was about seven years old, seven to eight years old. And some of you may have heard this story before, but I'm going to tell it anyway. And when I was young, um, I was a big kid, you know. And when you say, when I say I was a big kid, I don't mean I was a big kid. I mean, I was a big kid. Like I was large. It's a big, big kid. And um, one day the school pond had frozen over, right? Frozen over. And I saw my friends, and they were all skating across the pond, right? And that, uh, this, this was a school I went to in Plasto, um, so in East End, East End of London. Even the kids talk like that. And even in school, when I was at school, they used to call me Mo. They used to call me Moses because FA and FMA is quite a difficult one, even now. It's quite difficult. To, to, it's quite a challenge for, so, for most people. So they used to call me Mo. Mo is easier. Mo is an easy way for me to kind of connect with people. Um, but maybe I should, have, I should have maybe taken consideration they used to call me Big Mo. But anyway, <laughs> we're at school and the pond is frozen over and the kids, my very, very good friends, were skating over. So I saw and believed that the pond could take some weight, right? I'm seeing it. I'm, I'm witnessing it. And I've got my mates on the other side going, Big Mo, come on, mate. Because they're in the East, then I they talk, come on, mate, come on. Mo, Mo. And, you know, I'm, I'm from an African household. <laughs> and, um, you know, sometimes we, we don't, we don't talk, you know, venture out into the unknown most times. You know, life is difficult enough as it is. Um, so I'm just sitting, in, I'm sitting on the other side and these friends are, Mo, come on. And I'm just like, okay, cool. So I'm seeing it. I believed it. I'm going to do it. So I gingerly step out onto the pond. Uh, bear in mind, I can't really swim. So I'm on this thing and the moment comes. That's it. Big Mo is in the pond. You can, you can just imagine Sherman Clump in the middle of a pond that can't swim. 
I can't swim. And all my, uh, all my friends, my Caucasian brothers and sisters that were light enough to get across the pond, stood and laughed. And the thing, the thing is, I mentioned I'm from an African household, and um, my mum's here today, so big up, mum. Love you. Um, big up, mum. You know, you know, you get sympathy uh, in African households, but only after the fact. You know, after. It takes a while sometimes. So the sympathy comes after, you know? So my, so my mom gets a call. Could you imagine? You get a call from school that your son is in the pond. So, so my mom's like, did I send you to go to school to jump in the pond? Did I send you to jump, jump in the pond? If you jump in, jump out. Hashtag, if you jump in, jump out. I believed it, I saw it, but it wasn't to be true. And you know, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm married to a very beautiful woman and I have three gorgeous children. And you would know that sometimes you don't always know what to believe if you have children, right? Scenario, you're downstairs or in the kitchen making something, maybe baking a cake, doing something lovely. You then hear, what's the first question you ask? What happened? And they talk, it fell on, it fell on me. What fell on you? The, the wall. It's part of the structure of the house. You don't always know what to believe. But we live in a what-driven world, don't we? What? What are you doing after church? What are you having for lunch? What diet are you on? What are you watching on Netflix or any other streaming platform? We don't endorse any here. What's your relationship status? What car do you drive? What kind of house do you live in? What's your next career move? What do you think about Brexit or Mexit or any other ex, or every other ex, it? We're always driven by a what. And what's can form the building blocks that shape our thinking, provide a sense of comfort and security, and oftentimes in which we place our identity. We can place our identity in a what. So just to break down what a what looks like, next slide please. Our what's. And we can look at what's like this. There are wants or our wiring towards popular culture. This is the Instagram, Instagram living life. The, the, the ability or the want to always be on trend. What about our habits? or historical experiences or understanding. May I ask, actually, some of us here today, this morning, are we here because we want to be here, or are we here just out of habit? That's a what. We used to play this game at church called Amen or Ouch, so you can say Amen or Ouch. That was ouch. Our historical experiences or understanding can also be a what in our life. What about our achievements or our activity? Our achievements, what our status is, our job title, or our, or our um, position. Again, may I say, in church. 
or in places of ministry. And of course, and last but not least, the things and thoughts we possess. The things we have, the house, the car, the this, the that, the clothes, the shoes. But also our thought processes can be a what? Where we confine our way, we confine our thinking to a particular way and we stick there. Sometimes these can be the what's that define our lives. You see, this Jenga piece here is a, repli- is a replica of my life. These are all the what's that I had built around my life. And you see, the what's, they come from a specific place. And I remember my, where my what started or the what's around my life started. Again, I was about eight or nine years old, maybe a bit earlier than that. And I remember the day that my mum and dad, our family, we lost our family home. And I remember a mother and two children, she was looking for a place for us to stay that evening because there was no place for us to stay. So she went to a shop and she had exactly one pound and 41 pence in her, in her purse. She bought a blue crickle crunch biscuits and two packets of Ribena. And we shared that for, for a meal that day. That night we spent in a hostel and we were there for another two weeks trying to find a place to live. So that experience made me build these what's around my life because I was so afraid of going back to that place. I was so afraid of being the person who didn't have. I was so afraid. So across my whole life, I built these things around me. It shaped the way that I went for my career. It shaped how I saw myself. It shaped the clothes I wore. It shaped the friends I hung out with. Those were the what's that built around my life, the building blocks to, pro- to provide a persona that I wanted to portray to the world. Because when you meet people, they're not going to say, who are you? They're going to ask you, what do you do? What are you doing? So as long as I had that sorted, the person who was inside, sometimes we can use our what's to build our lives around. Even in Christendom, these what's can be your ideologies of who, how you think Christ works or who you think Christ is. You see, the problem with a what is that they're transient. They can change. Yeah, let's come up here for a sec. So what happens to you or who do you become when a loved one gets sick? Oh, oh, it's, it's okay. What about if you find yourself out of work? What about if a relationship breaks down? The thing you thought would hold you up? What about if your business folds? Or a core belief about yourself has changed or challenged? It's okay, it can fall. (laughs) If you want it to, it's okay. Thank you. No more. That's it. Thank you so much for that. But have you ever got to a place in your life where you've done all the right things? You've done all the right things. You've got all the what's in place. And you look at your life and you think to yourself, how did I get here? Was it just me? 
Is it just me? How did this happen? I didn't expect that to happen. I didn't know that would happen. You see, I don't believe we were meant to put our trust, our hopes, and our beliefs in what? I believe, next slide, we were meant to put our trust and our hope and belief in a who. In a who. The one who was and is and is to come. The one who was love made incarnate. The one who holds eternity in his nail pierced hands. The one and only son of the living God, Jesus. That is where we're supposed to build our security. That is where he, it's not a what, it's a who. He is the undisputed heavyweight champion of the universe. There is no one bigger or better, whether it's Tyson Fury or Wilder or whoever. There is no one that can be who our God is. He is bigger than the biggest. He is better than the best. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Therefore, he is truth, so we can build our life upon him. He is truth. Paul, one of the last apostles, had an amazing encounter with Jesus. I mean, this was like mind-blowing. Mind-blowing kind of, you know, flashing lights and blind eyes and all this kind of amazing stuff. And he went from being the Jew of all Jews, as he says, of himself, to being an advocate of Jesus. He went from persecuting Christians to becoming one of the most radical Christians that changed the world in, hist- in modern history. And in fact, we still get a lot of our theology from the letters that he wrote today. But you would have thought that would have been plain sailing. You would have thought that would have been the end of the story. He finds Jesus and everything is just okay. Far from it, friends. He says of himself, he was shipwrecked, he was flogged. He was ostracized by his friends. He'd been put into, under prison or in prison by Roman rulers, and we pick this up. He writes to his young apprentice, his young friend, Timothy, who's going to be taking the gospel further from him. He knows that, you know, he's getting a bit old, his time's limited, so he passes, he's passing himself onto his protege. And he says this in 2 Timothy 1, verse 9, he says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, i.e., not because of a what, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet, This is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. You see, I may not always know what to believe. Next slide. But I always know who to believe. We always know who to believe. You see, when we focus on the what's, and I'm going to be using who. So every time you think about who, you can just replace it with Jesus. 
because that's who we're talking about here. If you didn't know, we're talking about the Savior of the world, Jesus. Next slide. So if we, the thing about it is if we focus on our what's, it can produce fear. Have you noticed that? Next slide, please. When we focus on our what, it produces fear. But when we focus on who Jesus is, it produces faith. When we focus on a what, it produces fear. But when we focus on Jesus, it produces faith. And my wife so eloquently spoke a couple of weeks back. And she spoke about what we'd been going through as a family. That we'd lost, I'd lost my job early part of last year. And what you're seeing here is a text conversation. This is like the, my mind, me and God having a conversation. And I'm asking God, well, what am I going to do? And Jesus replies, I'm so glad he uses predictive text as well. <laughs> he says, who have I called you to be? I asked God, I said, God, what about my wife, my kids, my mortgage? How am I going to pay for that? What am I, I going to do? And he says, don't you trust me? Don't you trust me to provide for you? And this is the thing. And maybe sometimes you don't struggle with this, but I know that I do. I said, what are they going to say about me? What are they going to think about me? This was who I was. This is who I, I thought I was. What are they going to say? And he responded, do you know how much I love you? Do you know that you're precious to me? Do you know that you're more than enough? That you are worth more than my life was itself? See, when we focus on the what, it can produce a fear. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, it produces faith. Can I also tell you that God will always use a change or challenge to your what to reveal who he really is? Okay, I'm going to say that again for the people in the cheap seats at the back. God will use a change or challenge in your what to show him who he really is. That is what he does. That is what he does. The thing is, we can stand here and we know that Jesus is a healer because we stood here on the last Sunday of last year and we watched Pete's brother come in who was cancer-free. We know he does it. We know he's a God. I know he's a God who heals because I had a son and he had epilepsy. And the doctor told me that he would never, he would always be epileptic. And last year we got a letter from the same doctor to say, actually, do you know what? He's now epilepsy free. I know who my God is. I know. You can't tell me. I know God is a provider. And I'll tell you a really quick story. Yaz and I were driving to church. We, give a, um, we offer a day at church. We've done so for a number of years. And this was the day when it got really bad. Finances got really, really tight. You know when you get a text from the bank? Okay. <laughs> you know when you get a text from the bank? <laughs> right? If, I, if she said, we need groceries, so I'm thinking, okay, cool. We need to get groceries. But she, and I said to her, babe, if we buy groceries, we're going to be over the over. Over the overdraft. So we're in the car. We're praying. And we get to church. And Al Tullock is standing here. He did this role at one point. I think he was doing um, something to do with like 
food testing or something. And I came into church and there was all these groceries. And he was like, anyone fancy some groceries? Just take some. And we were just like, oh my gosh, that's God. I know he provides. And you know, the, the killer thing is, the killer thing is, if you and I go to the shops, yeah, we have to go and get groceries. You might like the cherry tomatoes. I might like the plum ones. You might like your different kind of courgettes. I might like more cucumber. Everything we would have bought was in those bags. We know there is a God who provides because he had to move something so we could see him do it. We had to, he had to move it. I want to ask a question. We had a couple, we looked at this story a couple weeks back. We looked at the story of Matthew, uh, in Matthew 14, where Peter walks on water. Peter walks on water. I want to ask, do you think Peter would have known that Jesus could walk on water if there wasn't a storm? Do you think he would have known? Sometimes we're wishing away the storms in our life and we forget to see the Jesus who can calm the waves. Sometimes we're wishing away the pain because, but we don't get to really see Jesus at work. Even when I don't see him, even when I don't feel him, he is moving. He is moving. He doesn't stop. The God that concerns you never slumbers nor sleeps. He is, his eyes are always on you. Do you know how much you are loved? That's the God we serve. See, God is more interested about who we're becoming than what we're doing. Okay, quickly. I only have a few minutes left. See, when we focus on a what, next slide, please. Next one. When we focus on what, sorry, the next one. There we go. When we focus on a what, it can confine us. But when we focus on the who, he defines us. When we focus on the what's, you can't break out of this box. But when he tells you who you are, there is a vista that you can see. There is, it doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing or how you got there. You are still who God has called you to be. And that doesn't change. And you know, I found this most in my Christian thinking. This was a struggle for me in my Christian thinking. I, I came to faith. I always had a, a, a vision of God when I was growing up. But I had certain ideologies about who God was and how he worked. And I liken it to um, stabilizers on a bike. I was on this Christian journey, but I was attaching what's to my theology, to who Jesus was. And it would confine me to think about how he could move. And then God would do something completely left field. I was like, hold on a minute. He doesn't work that way. That's not, that's not the way he's supposed to work. I'm not supposed to be thinking that. The funny thing about it is, especially when we think about Christendom, is that he never changes, but we do. If you start the journey with Jesus, if you are having the same revelation and the same understanding that you had at the beginning of the journey to what you have at the end, you may have missed it a little bit. You may have missed it. There's a story in Luke 24 about two men, two disciples. They're walking on the road, the road of Emmaus. Jesus had died and he'd resurrected again. And he was walking and they were downcast. They were like, oh my gosh, the Savior's died. 
And then a third man comes next to them and says, hey, what are you, what are you upset about? What are you upset about? And he asks them, they ask him, have you not heard what's been going on? Our Savior had died. And basically, Jesus turns around and goes, you dodo. Why are you focusing on the what? You should have been looking at the who. And they were so blinded by the what that they, they couldn't even see that Jesus was standing right next to them. May, may we never be a people that focus on the what that we get, that we miss Jesus right next to us. We miss him. Okay. And lastly, what's always leave you empty? But who says you're always enough? You're always enough. You see, there's always more, isn't there? I have a question for you. How do you know that you're living your life for a what? You might find yourself saying, if I could just, only if I had. Once I get to, I will. Or, if only I had. If only I was different. If only when I. And the thing about it is, if, if it's an attainment thing, once you get that goal, there'll be another goal. It's designed, this perpetual thing that we are never enough. It always either has you looking backwards or looking forwards. But the who says, you are enough right now. Right now. Right now. You don't have to look to the left or to the right. You're enough. And I want to end on this, actually. There is, um, I did some studying, which uh, should give you some comfort <laughs> about this. But the Jews had this concept of eternal life. And they, all, they had the concept of eternal life as in what we understand it as the eternal life to live forever. But they also had a different way of understanding eternal life. And it was it's something called Che Olam, which means lasting life or life eternal. And what that actually means is your best life. Your best life, your more abundant life. You know, so we focus on our what's to build an abundant life here, or we try to think we can, we fill it with all this stuff so we can create this abundant life, or we think we can based on the what's. But Jesus looks here, this concept of eternal life, he's saying the best life, the fullness of life, is found in Che Olam, as opposed to Che Shahar, which is the fleeting life, which is your everyday life. You're eating, you're drinking, you're going to work, going to the gym, that kind of thing. The things that really matter, the abundance of life, Che Olam. And he says this so beautifully, in John 17, 2. And to give you the context of John, of this particular scripture, he's praying for us. This is the only recorded prayer that Jesus has aside from the prayer that he teaches us to pray. So he is praying for his people. He's praying for his disciples. And he says this in John 17, 2. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. We don't have to wait to live our best life. It doesn't need to be captured on Instagram or Facebook. 
He is our best life. Only in him. He says he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who gives us what we need. He is the one who gives us our best life. And to close, we all, the, thing, the funny thing about God is he's just so good. He's just so good. He's just like so sweet. It's unreal. Like a fine wine. Just gets better and better and better. And I say that because he says, come to me. And when you do, all the water gets sorted anyway. That's what he says. He says, come to me. Seek me first. And everything else, all the what's will be taken care of. You see, God will grant us our heart's desire if we make him the desire of our hearts. God will, make, God will give us the desires of our heart if we make him our heart's desire. So last slide. I don't know what to believe sometimes. We're going into a new week, and I don't know what you're going to experience. I don't know what's waiting around the corner. I don't know what your future holds, but I know who holds our future. I know who holds our future. Amen. 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 So, I don't know whether you find where you find yourself today. Maybe you've built your life based on some what's. And Jesus is revealing to you who he is today. And ultimately, who you are. You see, the miracle, the miracle about Jesus walking on water, that wasn't the miracle. The miracle was that Peter could walk on water too. That's the real miracle. And God is calling us out this morning. As Pete eloquently said a couple of weeks back, he's calling us out. You can come and walk on the water with me. You don't have to live a life that's confined. He wants to define you and give you life, give you freedom. You don't have to live a life that's bound with fear. He wants to fill you with a faith everlasting. And this morning, if you're feeling empty, if you're feeling that you could just never make it, never measure up, Jesus is saying here today that you are more than enough.